I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 Kerosy radio show exclusively for this podcast. You don't often ask us about this tax smart investment, but it may be able to save you money on your future tax bills. Steve and I discuss what you need to know about municipal bonds and why more investors are flocking to them right now. We also break down the investment differences between you and your kids. You may want to give them some help. Finally, Deborah Clark, a travel advisor at Wayfair Travel Service, joins me to discuss how the Delta variant is impacting your vacation plans. Well, the stock market continues to flirt with all-time highs. At the same time, the House of Representatives is moving closer to passing a $3.5 trillion spending package. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. All-time highs and all-time record debt. By the time you're out of traffic tonight, you're going to know not only what to think about stocks at this current place where they are, but also a lesser-used investment to save on taxes. Let's start with the mar- market. Uh, Steve, you know, you've yeah. been in this career for a couple Long of time. years now. Yeah, not my first rodeo, exactly. <laughs> so all-time highs, I think you have some interesting perspective on I, that. Yeah, and, and I've talked about this before, but when I started in the early 80s, the, the Dow Jones average, which is, you know, 35, 36,000 these days, it was at 950. Not 9,500, 950. And I Back remember, yeah, this is what my kids call an I remember when story. I, I remember <laughs> when the Dow when the, when the Dow was approaching 1,000 and people were in a total panic. Oh, my goodness. I, it can't stay at these levels. This is crazy. It's got to it's got to drop. It's going to go back down to 400, 500, something like that. It was just there a few years ago. You know, the way the Dow Jones average and the other indexes, um, S&P 500, the way they're calculated, they're always going to break new highs. The issue is, do they get there in a straight line? No. No, they no. never get there in a straight line. They tend to get a little ahead of themselves, a little bit behind themselves. And that's where people like me can step in and say, hey, we've got some opportunities here. But, you know, we're starting to look at market highs and, and it makes everybody a little bit nervous uh, as as far as, you know, aren't we going to see a, at least a correction? And I'll make a bold prediction, Amy. We're going to have a correction. Oh, yeah, I'm brilliant out there. prediction. I'm I think you might there. even be right about that. E- e- the even... key is telling us when. Can you well, do that, okay. Mr. Sprovac? <laughs> if you're, if you're going to get into that kind of detail, even a, broken, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll step there. No, you you think the market's high right now. You just wait 20 years. I, I mean, yeah. that's an old adage. It, it, it'll be higher. But, yeah, it doesn't go up in a straight line. We'll have a pullback. And, and I think people are getting a little bit nervous now in particular because Congress is talking about spending a whole boatload of money. Yeah. But let's talk about from 1950 to now, one out of every 15 days the market has been open, yeah. it's closed at a new record high. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this is interesting, too. So the S&P 500 has spent 32% of its life within 5% of the high and only 24% within 2% of its all-time high. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... There is there is a lot of more up days than down days historically in the market. Now, the down days are not pretty days. No one likes those, but 
when you look at, I think it's four out of five years, the market closes up from where they started over the year. Like, yeah. Well, well, yes, there is risk, there is volatility here. Um, you know, freaking out about new highs isn't the way to go. But you mentioned there's a lot of headlines out there when, yeah. when you're at new highs uh, at the same time that Congress continues to spend not millions. I mean, millions is like nah, that's a, old a news. Pennies, <laughs> not billions. Yeah. But we're talking trillions yeah. of dollars. And man, we're like we're shelling out trillions of dollars on almost a weekly basis these days it seems i i know and 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 where i get nervous it's not just the spending it's it's the amount of spending without even talking about the big bugaboo social security's got to get fixed you think these programs are expensive wait till they start talking about fixing social security And, and you know as a percentage of gross domestic product uh, deficits are how much we're behind the eight ball on a yearly basis. The national debt is the total amount of debt. Our national debt is the highest it's ever been in history as a percentage yeah. of GDP. I mean, I mean, you know, when we used to get worried about it, you know, a long time ago during the Reagan years and people were saying, you know, OK, this is crazy. The amount that the federal government is spending, uh, the national debt was 20, 30 percent of gross domestic product. We're well over 100 percent right now. We're around 126 percent of of uh, gross domestic product. And, and, you know, the question becomes, can we even begin not just forget about repaying it? Can we make the payments, the interest yeah. payments? Can and, we and, service this? Yeah, debt? yeah, exactly. That's that's the concern is can we can we service the debt at today's low interest rates? And what happens when interest rates get a little bit higher? That is the the million dollar or the The trillion trillion dollar dollar question at this point, right? Because, you know, as we spend these bills, the question becomes, of course, you know, how are we going to pay for this spending? Uh, and, And Congress has said, well, at this point, we're looking at taxes and debt. So starting with taxes, the corporate tax rate is expected to rise from 21 percent to 25 to 28 percent. This is, you know, for this bill. Um uh, we, we've we've had talks about this before. It, it you know we've backed yeah. away from it. And what we also know is these huge companies, right, that would make a big difference if they had to pay these higher tax rates, also have not only two or three accountants and attorneys, they have floors of accountants and attorneys in their offices to make sure that every possible loophole is found so that they're never never paying anywhere close to these rates. Yeah, when when, when Amazon, and and I might be wrong with the amount, but Amazon paid uh, apparently very little in in federal income tax over the last couple of years. Um, They were never accused of doing anything illegal. They, what, yeah. what they were accused of was you're not paying your fair share. Wait a second here. What is fair it, share? Yeah. Exactly. If the law says here's the way we're going to calculate your income tax and you have very smart accountants and lawyers say, oh, OK, well, it doesn't say we can't do this. It doesn't say we can't do that. And the net result is zero. Um, maybe there's something wrong with the people that wrote the legislation, yes. not the accountants. Maybe over the legislation is flawed, not so much the companies, right? Wait. So they're looking at raising the corporate tax rate, but also taxing households making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. You know, those are the people that most of us don't feel too sorry for. Um, of course, you know, none of this is set in stone yet. But going back to what you're talking about, Steve, yeah. is the debt, and yeah. I think that is a huge confer- concern for so many people. Um, um, and it's interesting, too, because at this month's 10-year sale, notes were awarded at just 1.34%, which was, you know, three basis points, three percentage points lower uh, than where we had been with the previous sale. So more and yeah. more people are flocking uh, to this to this federal debt as a place to invest. 
Yeah, well, it's, you know, no matter what flaws we have in this country, it's still considered to be the safe, the safe haven, the safest place to invest money. So how do we pay for all this debt, all these programs that we don't have money for? We issue we issue U.S. Treasuries. They're debt backed by the U.S. government, in other words, backed by you and me paying our taxes, and apparently we're the safest place in the world. So not just is this debt being issued, U.S. Treasuries, and and the 10-year notes are are 10-year maturities. Just like, you know, imagine a a CD that that comes due in 10 years. They pay 1.3% interest, okay? It's not not that much in interest that they pay, yet a record high, the most foreign investment in over a decade came in to buy these treasuries at the last auction, um, that tells me that foreign countries, they would rather invest in the U.S. economy because they know they're going to get their money back when these bonds come due than anything else that they could do with that money in the world. That yeah. That's a good thing about our economy, but still, at some point, we have to pay interest, and, and that interest today at 1.3%. And what happens when we have to make interest payments down the road at 3 or 4 or 5% and never mind the late 70s, early 80s interest rates? That's where people get a little bit nervous. May not be pretty. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC as we look at this latest round of legislation. It looks like it's going to come out of Congress and how we're going to pay for it. As we look at the fact that the U.S. is projected to spend over $300 billion just on interest payments in this fiscal year. And for some perspective on that, that's equivalent to 9% of all the money the government takes in. And if you want to break it down by household, yeah. well, we each owe $2,400. Just think about that. I, I mean, yes. seriously, just think about that means whatever you paid in taxes this year, $2,400 did not go to programs or helping the poor or needy or, you know, whatever, it is, defense spending, Social Security, $2,400 of it went to paying interest on debt. Yeah. And, and that's not going to exactly go down. And, and you know, I, I hate to keep railing on this, Amy, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I mean, you know, th- this, this is... This is something that at some point you have to say enough. Enough is enough. And and again, we're not even talking about fixing Social Security. These are new programs that are in addition to the money that's already been accounted for, which already brought us up to debt being 126% of gross domestic product. So these are new dollars that are not going to you know go away and it's just a one-shot deal. These are programs that are going to be in place probably forever, because Congress seems to do a great job of putting programs in place but never taking them away. So, you know, at at, at 1.3% interest, we're talking about paying interest annually is about $300 billion. It's just like you making a minimum payment on your credit card, $300 billion. Apparently, we don't have a problem servicing that. If interest rates just go up to 3 or 4%, now we're talking a trillion dollars a year. I, yeah. I, I mean, these are massive increases, and that money comes from somewhere, either higher taxes, can, less spending. I um, guess it's going to be higher taxes. Yeah, you can see how easily that could get out of control. Yeah. And you know that we're talking about investors looking at federal debt, but they're not looking just there. Muni bonds, municipal yeah. bonds, right? So this is local governments, uh, you know, doing things. Here's a Chicago suburb sold $9 million in bonds for road improvements. And the officials there said, okay, we think we'll probably have to pay about 3%. But there were so many bidders to get their hands on these bonds that they ended up spending uh, or promising yields of, you know, 2 
you know, are two-tenths of a percent up to just over two percentage points. Yeah, yeah. Municipal bonds are kind of a, a weird little uh, segment of, of investing. And, and just, just so you know, the interest that you earn on a municipal bond is federally tax-free. And, and if you buy an Ohio bond and you're an Ohio resident, uh, it's going to be state tax-free also. So in other words, this is something written into the Constitution to encourage municipalities, or I'm sorry, to allow municipalities to issue debt at a lower interest rate. Because if you're in a high tax bracket, two-tenths of a percent might be equal to three or four-tenths of a percent issued in a corporate bond or a taxable bond. So in other words, municipal bonds are real attractive if you make a lot of money. And a lot of people make a lot of money, and these things are so in demand right now that when you have a lot of demand, you can issue bonds at an even lower interest rate, and people are still going to buy them. So it's, it's, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing a bull market in municipal bonds right now. Here's the Simply Money point. You cannot control what market you invest in, which is why it's so important to base your investments on your personal risks and needs. Amazon. My goodness, Steve. They came into just about any sector that Amazon has decided to touch and decimated, including department stores. Yeah. And now I find this super ironic, but Amazon has looked around and said, you know what we should do? We should create some like physical space for people to come in and try on clothes <laughs> and like see it face to face. Maybe we'll even call it a department store. It wasn't enough to take <laughs> over the world. Now they're going to take over the world and everything else. I, I don't know. It's, Watch out, hey, it's amazing. Well, I, I have a problem. By, I mean, I do a fair amount of buying online, but I have a problem buying clothes online. Me too. Do, uh, do you? Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's that's something you really have to try on. And it's not just clothes, but Amazon obviously recognizes, oh, okay, people are hesitant to do that. Let's reinvent something called the department store. So they're going to go in, and, and malls are not in great shape, if you didn't no. notice. You, you know, and, and I, I mean, the numbers are, are pretty staggering on, on how many of these stores are, are going to be closing up. I, I mean, 200 department stores have permanently closed since last year. Another 800 are on the chopping block. I don't know what malls are going to look like five years from now. Very but, different. Yeah, but here, here's Amazon saying, we're going to go in and we're going to set up a, a kind of a department store, but use about a third. Instead of 100,000 square feet, we only need about 30,000 square feet. And we're going we're gonna to let people try on clothes. We're, yeah. we're going we're, we're gonna... to... Household items, electronics, yeah. watch out Best Buy, right? I mean, there's yeah. a number of probably stores out there that are really concerned about this news. And when you get some perspective on how much less we're shopping in stores right now, Macy's, Penny's, Kohl's made up 15% of retail sales in 1985. So that's going back a ways. They now account for less than 3% of total yeah. retail sales in the U.S. Yeah, it, it, and dynamics have obviously changed, and, and Amazon thinks they can exploit that. Here, here's, here's the issue I have. You know I'm not big on social media. You know, I, I don't know. like giving away information don't for free. Don't look for Steve on Facebook. Yeah. You won't no, find him there. No, exactly. And and here's Neil Saunders. He's the director of a company called Global Data that collects data. And he's commenting by saying this allows Amazon to gather and track even more data. So when you walk into an Amazon store, don't think it's, you know, nobody's paying attention to what you're looking at. No, they're they're tracking they everything about you. And, and it's their way to change the way advertising is done, and in their words, presenting you with more of what you want to buy. 
which has always been retail. But they're just taking it to the next level using every bit of technology uh, out there. And, and, you know, that's in addition to what they're already doing by buying Whole Foods. And, and, you know, they're expanding into every direction possibly imaginable right now. And remember, they started initially to sell books online. Bookstore, yeah. Yeah. How they have grown and how they have changed what we do on a daily basis has just been phenomenal. And how you save for your future turns out to be a whole lot different maybe than the way your kids do. Same as we look at a new generation of investors, there are some there's some good news out there and some things that we say, mm, you might want yeah. to talk to your kids about this one. Yeah, exactly. Roughly a quarter of all new investors started in the last 18 months. And and I've got two boys. They're you know in their mid thirties, and and they're using. They're different. Yeah, you know that generation yeah. is different than my generation, and and they're using their iPhones to invest. They're using social media for their uh, their ideas. And I keep them grounded. Obviously, I'm gonna you know stick my nose in. You've into, got some opinions there. Uh, and as I you might should. have some very strong opinions there, <laughs> but but you know I, I, we've seen this with you know the Reddit forums and all these meme stocks and all the craziness mm-hmm. that that can occur. This is a, a very large group of investors that have really never seen any downtimes. The market's done nothing but go up, and they figure, hey, this is easy. I can do this. I don't need help. I, my concern is what happens when things go down, because they will. Yes. No, and, and truly, when you had, and I remember the, these statistics coming out of the Great Recession, uh, and you had kids that were investing for the first time, right? Yeah. They were very tentative about how they invested. On the flip side, though, you know, and I, and I love the comment that uh, Ed Fink, one of our founders, used to always make about, you know, do not confuse brains for a bull market. Uh, yeah. You know, you think you've got it all figured out, but it's just that the market is, it's a bull market right now, and you can do no wrong. So these kids who are investing for the very first time, feel like they can do no wrong. And the concern is what we're actually seeing them doing is a bit speculative. They're gambling. Yeah. They're not They're not investing in mutual funds or ETFs. Many of them are, are investing in cryptocurrency. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's the big thing. And, and that's, you know, it's like, how can you tell someone's older versus younger on, on a phone call if they ask, hey, how can I listen to the radio show? What channel is it on? Or if they ask where your podcast is. I mean, yes. that, that right there. Well, they're doing it now with, you know, what should I invest in? What do you think about cryptocurrency? I can tell that they're under 40 right there. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the big thing well, that they're looking at. Yeah. And they're twice as likely uh, than their older counterparts to be invested in cryptocurrencies. 26 sure. percent versus 12 percent um, in 10 percent of new investors are using ETFs compared to 18 percent of more experienced investors. So not interested in maybe diversified long term investing. But and a lot of these forums talk about this kind of the get rich quick. Right. Yeah. You only live once. Go all in. This is is the next big thing my friend made millions of dollars before they even got out of college on it whatever the crazy stories are and there's a lot of people who are investing their hard-earned money that are falling for this but they're making money what, what would you expect them to do you, you yeah. know volatility cuts both ways volatility means you can lose a lot but it means you can make a lot and if you're buying into a volatile asset class whether it's stocks cryptocurrencies whatever and the market is making a run you're going to say, why would anybody do anything different? The, the, the difference is when things turn around, and they always do. That's the cost of admission into stocks. Anything outside the bank is going to have downturns. It's the cost of, of playing the game, and their reaction after a big loss is going to determine, are they going to continue investing and reduce the risk or not? 
Here's the Simply Money point. We're glad more young Americans are interested in investing. Just make sure your kids understand the difference between long-term investing and short-term speculation. A pandemic. Does this count as property damage? Interesting question in the Ohio Supreme Court is now going to have to decide that because there was a number of businesses, right, that shut down due to the coronavirus who had um, insurance policies about having to shut down and the damage done. And now they're saying, hello, insurance company, please pay up. We had yeah. this damage because we shut down. Do you realize how big a deal this is? I mean, every Huge. every business has some sort of business interruption insurance. And these all-risk policies, um, well, this is Neurocommunication Services brought the lawsuit against Cincinnati Insurance. They're claiming there's no exclusion for losses caused by viruses or pandemics. And, and, you know, pretty much every business was affected by it, you know, in some way, shape or form. So Neurocommunication Services filed a claim. Cincinnati Insurance denied it. They they yeah. said it doesn't cover a pandemic. And, and Neuro they said we're talking about like a fire here or vandalism. Right. Yeah, well, Things they're saying like that. Show me, show me where that is in the policy. And, yes. and you know, insurance companies are going to say, you know, first deny it and then make you prove it. But this is going to the Ohio Supreme Court, and it's not just one company. I mean, there there are a ton of these policies out there, Amy. Oh. And you're talking millions, if not billions, of dollars of potential payouts that would be, you know, a meaningful, I, I don't want to use the word catastrophic, but meaningful, significant payouts by some of the largest insurance companies in the state. A number of companies keeping yeah. a super close eye on this. And, and really what it's all going to come down to this case is how to interpret words such as damage, right? If an insurance company yep. is saying, no, 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 damage, we meant physical damage. And these companies are saying, well, you cannot deny that damage was done yeah, yeah. to our ability to make money because of COVID. Um, and also all inclusive. If, if you're paying extra money, and that's what these companies are, to get a policy that says it's all inclusive, yeah. then... Is it all inclusive? Does Why it was, include a pandemic? Sure. Why was I paying this money? I, I mean, yes. you know, this is what I needed to cover my losses, and that's why I paid the premium. But I'll tell you what, Amy, these insurance companies are banding together. Nationwide, State Auto, uh, they're all filing briefs supporting Cincinnati Insurance. They realize that, you know, if we don't stand together, we're going to stand alone. And, and this is this is a big, big potential payout. Everybody in the insurance industry is going to be watching what happens in Ohio with this case. I'm always a champion for the little guy, but sure. as you look at this, you've got big insurance companies versus small businesses. It will be interesting to see how this one does play out. We made it through a pandemic. And as things started to reopen, you started making vacation plans all over again. So excited to get back out there. And now the Delta variant. How is that impacting your vacation plans? Joining us tonight with some great perspective on that, Deborah Clark, travel advisor at Wayfair Travel, uh, a regular here on the show. Deborah, not obviously what we wanted to see in the travel industry or really any industry at this point. Um, but no question the Delta variant is having an impact on travel. Yes. It absolutely is having an impact. Um, a month ago, six weeks ago, we talked. Uh, things were going forward. Everything was on an upbeat note. We were yeah. booking things to Europe, uh, not even thinking twice about it. Now we're turning around and rolling those Europe trips and things over to 2022 again. 
I just ran into a friend at the grocery store, um, I don't know, maybe last week, and she was just saying, hey, I have this little trip with my daughter. We have it planned in October, and I'm even nervous about if that's going to happen. Uh, it almost feels like last year, deja vu all over again. Uh, people who have even domestic plans, not sure about how things are going to go. That's correct. However, most domestic plans are still going um, as usual, but of course, sometimes we're back into the mask mandates, which we weren't uh, a bit ago. But typically, most of the U.S. is still going forward. Now, Devin, let me option- ask you this uh, for airlines, because I think they did a fantastic job when the pandemic first started of being super flexible, letting people cancel plans. You know, if someone has domestic travel booked right now and they decide they're uncomfortable because of something pertaining to COVID and this Delta variant, are airlines still affording them flexibility or is that gone by the wayside? I think in most cases, yes, they are. Of course, I'm most familiar with Delta because, you know, we do a lot of Delta out of Mm -hmm. the CBG. But right now, unless you book one of the basic economy tickets, which are the lowest level of tickets you can purchase, um, they are allowing to cancel and rebook at a future time with no change fees. So they're not going to give you your money back unless there's a bit of significant change in your itinerary, but they will allow you to use those tickets for a certain amount of time with no change fees. Okay, let's talk about international travel. I do know some people who are still have or are, have gone uh, to Mexico and places like that. Uh, what does it look like if you want to get away somewhere warmer uh, and leave the country for a place like that? I'm booking a lot of Mexico, uh, the Dominican Republic. It is still very open to the U.S. You do not have to have any vaccinations prior to going in. It is not required. But I do like to make sure everyone knows that if you would, you do have to have a test within 72 hours of returning back to the U.S. If you happen to test positive, and that's even if you've had a vaccine, you are required to quarantine in Mexico for at least 10 days. So that is certainly something to think about. A lot of the resorts are putting you up um, complimentary. Just something to think about. So, and I know when we talked the last time, you made a great point. I think it's worth making again. If you are going to travel to one of these places, uh, if the resort offers testing on the premises, it's so much easier. It is absolutely so much easier. And I typically don't book anything for clients unless they request it that does not have testing on premises. Because otherwise, it's very hard to find pharmacies and things that are available to do these and to get the test back in a, a a good amount of time. So, yes, I would highly recommend if you're going to travel to Mexico um, or the Dominican Republic to definitely book a property that does have those tests on site. 
You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, Delta and travel. And I'm not talking about the airline. I'm talking about, unfortunately, the COVID variation here um, having an impact on travel plans. And we're joined tonight by Deborah Clark with her insight on that. You know, Deborah, you were telling me also um, that people, once the economy was starting to reopen, were booking, you know, two, three trips at a time, some of those being to Europe. What about those people who maybe had plans to go to Europe late this year, early next year? Has anything changed for them? Some of them for the, yet this year have changed to 2022 mm-hmm. for various reasons. As of January, I don't have any trips that have been rolled yet. I think people are still um, positive that things may turn around. In another month or two, that could change. But definitely Europe is is cautious, and I am cautious in booking someone to Europe. I don't do anything unless I know I can get out of it without any cancellation fees. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very careful about booking things that cannot be rolled to next year with no cancellation fees or canceled with no cancellation fees. And Deborah, there's a lot of people out there who, when you ask them what their favorite vacation is, they will always respond cruising, cruise ships, uh, super popular. Um, But obviously, when this pandemic started, lots of horror stories about that. So what is your advice for people who love to cruise for vacation uh, currently? Well, I would suggest that certainly if you are immune-sensitive, um, I wouldn't do it if if there you have any. So if you're yeah. compromised in any way, don't yeah. do it. But do you I find that do it? Vaccines are required for any cruise. Uh, at least all the ones that I know of, they are required. Masks are required in social, you know, to be social distanced if you're in common areas. I think there's capacity controlled on uh, elevators. But I do want to caution everyone that. If you, even though it says you must be vaccinated completely, you must be vaccinated at least 14 days prior to your arrival at the port. Good distinction there. So are you telling people, because it sounds like there are a lot of restrictions on cruise ships. Are there a lot of people who are saying, as much as I like to do this, I'm going to hold off for now? Yes. For you, what is the magic kind of date or timeline for people? Because I know you work with people who like to do some, you know, pretty nice vacations, Europe and these cruises and things like that. Uh, 2022 is when you feel like people are starting to be comfortable again with maybe traveling? Yes, I feel like they are. Now, that being said, six weeks ago, I would have told you September, October, they were going to be comfortable, but that's yeah. not the case now. So, But the cruise lines are being very um, flexible also. Some of them you could cancel up to 48 days prior to sailing. You don't get your money back, but you get a voucher to be used for a, a pretty flexible amount of time. Um, so there, some of them are, you know, 30 days, some of them are 15, but they're all being somewhat flexible, way more than they were prior to the pandemic. So if you get a call today and someone says, okay, kiddos are back to school, uh, we're looking to get away for a long weekend or uh, a short week somewhere, what is the best advice on the best places to go right now where you may have uh, the fewest issues when it comes to COVID? Well, New England would be my first choice. All right. Florida would be an option, but I don't know that I would (laughs) want to go there. Um, The West Coast, 
uh, is very popular. The national parks are extremely popular. But again, that being said, those destinations are very, very difficult to find accommodations available. All right. So keep that in mind for anyone looking to travel anytime soon. Great advice. Great insights from Deborah Clark. She's a travel advisor at Wayfair Travel. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it, too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.